listening to Buzz on 2020. With Sean Stone. Why is it after sundown? This place is like a ghost town. Welcome to Buzzsaw 2020. I'm your host, Sean Stone, and you're listening to us via Monument Productions, which is an amazing group that's just started, a new podcast company, and they are our sponsors, our hosts, and we are very happy to be here. Okay, the Shaker sisters here. I call them the twins. We have Jenny Shake Shaft. What's up? And uh, Gabby Shake. <laughs> Hello, everybody. And Casey, uh, Casey on the camera. I can't pronounce your last name, so I just call you Casey on the camera. My, my, my new crew for Buzzsaw 2020, we're going to call this, because some of you will, be, will be familiar with my show Buzzsaw, which I've had on uh, online, various versions, first on the Lip TV, on YouTube, then on Gaia, uh, then on my um, own YouTube channel, ever since 2013. And basically, I started out wanting to do Buzzsaw as a spinoff from Conspiracy Theory with Jesse Ventura because we were getting to these amazing conversations in that third season, that finale, where uh, we were talking about the reptilian aliens and the time travel and basically targeted individuals and, you know, talk about like electromagnetic targeting. Now we're in this era of 5G where people are very concerned about the power and the potential of this wireless that literally is affecting people's cellular levels. It's frying your brain, basically. So... All this we were talking about back in 2013, post 2012, these conversations felt very relevant. Now we're at the we're at the cusp of 2020. We're like seven years post 2012. People are either awake or they are not waking up. That's the way I put it. Either you're awake at this point or you're in a coma because yeah, it's just too much information. It's too available, right? I mean, everyone at this point, like, just Google it. If you're like, what should I think? I said, just Google it, and you'll find some answer online. And people are, as a result. I think very confused because they say, well, I can look it up and see, you know, there's the 5G is dangerous and I can look up the official version and they say it's a Russian conspiracy. And I'm like, well, this is where you have to get in touch with your own inner knowing. This is where you have to empower yourself. This is the age of self-sovereignty. And this is what we're coming into. This is what Buzzsaw 2020 is speaking to. We're speaking to you as the individual saying you are the sovereign over your own existence. You are the living person. Stop giving your power and your authority to some government, scientist, agency to tell you what to do and to have power over your own existence. How about that for once? Stop giving it to the church. Stop giving it to the state. Take it back to yourself. We are here as the living beings. That's what this show is about. You guys with me? I'm with you. We're here. We're woke. <laughs> we are. So joining us in the, uh, our, the, joining the Buzzketeers today as we blast off is going to be <laughs> the dark journalist himself. Many people have seen some of his interviews. He's woke. He's beyond woke. He's like, he's in the shadows, but he's not in the shadows because he's very light. But at the same time, he's going into some really heavy things. And uh, I don't even know where to start with you because you kind of popped up. I don't, I don't really remember when you came on the radar, but you've sort of been out there doing a lot of similar things to what Buzzsaw doing. You're like the dark, you're like the dark shadow version of Buzzsaw. You're getting into the stuff <laughs> that I kind of couldn't get into the last few years, maybe. So you've been my shadow, and we're bringing you. <laughs> exactly. We're bringing you here to, to, to chop it up, and uh, yeah, like give me a little perspective. Um, I'm gonna call you Daniel because that's your name. But uh, where does the dark journalist get his sort of his background? What what drives him into this realm of uh, wanting to know the truth? 
Well, that's great. Thank you, Sean, and everyone. Uh, it's great to be here with you. I um, I think I've always been a dark journalist, actually, and um, I've had you know these long stints in technology and even financial journalism, um, but sort of rising all through that stuff was this sense that whenever a story was coming up, um, that there's a kind of choke point around certain stories. And that was the first thing where I noticed information wasn't getting out because anything that would be controversial uh, relating to like missing money or HUD fraud or something or military uh, spending, those stories could be choked off pretty fast. And, you know, they just leave the trail there. Um, so I think for me, uh, it goes back pretty far. And what I was seeing is there were certain things out there, like the UFO file, certain things out there, uh, like the mystery schools and these traditions. And there was a big gap of knowledge. There was this sort of commercial, uh, marketing-friendly version of all these topics. But it didn't have the substance. And uh, the substance, when I started to think about journalism, and I said, well, how would you get the substance going? And so you'd need to be able to go into those dark places and get the information and bring it out to the light. And that's where uh, dark journalism comes from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's the muckrakers. I mean, you got the tie going. You're very like you you're, you look like the old school journalists of that era that would have no problem, you know. Um, <laughs> I have stones, right? The guys that would just be like, listen, the government's a bunch of crooks. Why do I why? Why is it wrong of me to say that? I don't understand why it, at this point in time, like we knew this in the 20s. We knew this, fr frankly, in the beginning of this country. That's why we said government should be of the people and by the people and for the people because we know that they become crooks once they become established in their positions of power. And once the money starts flowing, obviously, you know, to have a campaign, run it, how much money is involved. So think about it. That's why Jesse Ventura said they should have NASCAR, like NASCAR, they should have their stickers of all the corporations that donated to them on every senator and congressman's vests. All the corporations sponsoring you, they have your, you have them all on your vest so everyone can know. Okay, I am bought my Monsanto, owns me. And, uh, That's so funny. Right? General Motors. And uh, so I represent oil and, you know, BP sneakers. Big Pharma. BP, yeah, British Petroleum. I mean, let's get into like who really owns these people that we call our politicians. They're for, they're for us. Why would they hurt us? It's like, really? Are they there for you? We know there's a long history, if you look it up, the history of chemical and biological warfare against the American people. Mm -hmm. This is not North Korea. This is America. Going back to the end, you know, fairly pre-World War II, obviously, especially against black communities and things like this, but post-World War II, just on civilian populations, as you would know. So when it comes to this ability for journalists to question. I know it. That's why I work for, you know, for RT. I do a show called Watching the Hawks for RT and people say, you work for the Russians. I say, no, I work for me. I work for the fact that I'm interested and intrigued by certain things. And why is it that our, that CNN and Fox aren't questioning these things? The fact is you can't because it's corporate sponsored. Look at who, look at who does advertising on Fox News. And it's like, 70%, 60-70% big pharma, right. you know, pharmaceuticals, right? So how can you question the pharmaceutical industry? How can you attack it? You can't because they're they paying you. Mm -hmm. So if they own you, essentially they're buying you, you're bribed, how can you challenge that? And so every legitimate journalist knows this and that's why they throw it into the buzzsaw. That's where the name buzzsaw comes from, was from this great book, Into the Buzzsaw, this, that a bunch of journalists actually put their stories together and they said, look, these are the stories that our editors squashed. They said, this is too controversial. This is too conspiratorial. Going back to things like now people talk about it, TWA Flight 800, which in the 90s, remember that crash took place, I think it was maybe 2000, 99, that time period. People like my father wanted to do a show about it, actually, mm. and to expose the conspiracy. There, there was probably a missile that actually hit it out of the sky. Uh, 
And ABC killed it because ABC is who? It's Disney. It's this big conglomerate, part of that six white men that, you know, that essentially rule all the me- mainstream media. So this is the mainstream culture. And I just don't, how do we wake people up? Daniel Dark Journalist, how do we tell people stop paying attention to the mainstream media? They are not there to tell you the truth. They are not there for your your best interest. Well, it's the nature of the situation, actually. What's great is that the 800-pound gorilla is out of the closet, so we, we know what it is. Um, but the problem is that people are still hung into the old way of sort of sucking into corporate media. And everything you just said about the media is true. Uh but also the incredible control of the Council on Foreign Relations and the Central Intelligence Agency on the media, because that's how you make a career. You know, if you're in journalism and you don't have that Council on Foreign Relations membership, you're out. <laughs> and if you don't have those uh, CIA connections, they can't give you that intel about a global story in particular. You're also, I mean, the CIA can make or break many careers. So you're under their narratives. And um, when you go to get outside of that, we see what happens, you know, with the Julian Assange situation and WikiLeaks. Eventually, um, you know, the way I look at uh, Assange is that as far as the independent media is concerned, he's basically the titular head of the independent media when you come right down to it. So there's the symbol of the top of the independent media getting dragged out of some embassy and thrown into prison and apparently health failing, slowly dying before he gets here for a kangaroo court trial. So it's not a pretty picture for how the media was envisioned and then the freedom that was attained. Uh, We're in kind of the darkest period, uh, I would say. And it doesn't seem to matter if there's a Democrat or Republican in there. Uh, We know that when Obama was in, he was uh, going after journalists with a sledgehammer of the Espionage Act, you know, which hadn't been used since 1917. So um, this is definitely multi-party, goes across party lines, and they are protecting that story. I would say um, always that the, the key is that one man with the truth constitutes a majority, so or one woman with the truth. And so when you look at it that way, um, as long as you have the story, as long as you have the facts, if you have the truth on your side, you can cause that ripple regardless of the kind of corporate control or the social media controls, uh, you know, as we see in Facebook and Twitter, they're just throwing people off left and right whose voices they don't like. And by the way, it's not very specific. You know, they do say, well, they throw conservative voices off, but they've been throwing off the type of left wing voices uh, off of there also that they don't like. So if you're not this one particular thing, you don't get away with it. And uh, I remember looking at the headlines with Twitter recently, and it was all about Miley Cyrus and her manager. I mean, this is what they want you to think about. <laughs> So, yeah, it's the nature of the beast. It's been and, years um, of Miley Cyrus, though. I mean, it's it's part <laughs> of that whole pop culture that we evolved into in the 2000s. I mean, really, it was the 2000s. I remember that went so dark to me because it was mm-hmm. like it was 9-11 oh, yeah. was a psyop, right? Yeah. It was basically meant to like terrorize the population. So you don't question the fact that your government is illegitimate. You don't question the fact that you literally are in the 21st century and operating under barbaric you know, conditions like Everyone has to put your hands up. Like, what does that mean? I'm guilty if I walk through the, if I walk through the airport, I put my hands up in the in the machines and say I'm guilty. Like, it's it's putting right. you into the psychology of you're a herd animal. You have no power. Trust you know, trust us. We're homeland security. We're here to protect the homeland. Wait a minute, the homeland. This is not an empire. What do you mean? <laughs> the homeland implies that there's foreign bases, which we have obviously hundreds of thousands, but it implies an empire, right? I mean, that's the whole concept of a homeland as opposed to a foreign land. 
So why does America have a homeland? Mm-hmm. This should this is we're not supposed to be an empire. No. <laughs> we're supposed to be a republic here, right? So that whole mentality was essentially like fear, 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 fear porn, which is basically like obviously at one extreme it's real porn, and the other extreme it's like well semi porn, which is like Instagram, what we see now, you know, with this Instagram celebrities and models and all this, you know, the the pop, you know, you can be a celebrity if you have a hundred thousand followers and Instagram kind of mentality. So that's fear porn, I call it. It's like, don't take your life back. Don't actually have any ownership or sovereignty over your yeah. life. Don't actually live an authentic existence. Just live in the culture of me, 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 look at me. As long as someone's paying attention to me, that's all that matters. It's like, how far have we come as this, you know, in this country? But before I get into that, I want to ask you, have you ever looked into legitimate journalism? Like as far as legitimate, as far as like, let's say the mainstream legitimate, like I have to go and you know, work for with credentials at like an ABC or an NBC or someone like some, some entity. Did you ever consider that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had a background working in Apple technology journalism. So I worked as an editor in chief for a major Mac magazine for a decade. So I, I had entree to that world. Before that, like coming out of college and all that, I worked for the Wall Street Journal and for Dow Jones. So I saw that uh, arena and avenue and it wasn't for me but i did see the way that um these reporters and the general setup of those situations uh you know they're they're under a certain system and basically they have to please the system and if they get independent then they're they're finished pretty much and you know it's funny what you were saying about homeland too because it is interesting when we get names that are different because they connote different things so if I can call something the homeland instead of the United States of America, well, the United States of America is under a constitution, for example, but the homeland is under all the emergency rules that were set up after 9-11. Mm-hmm. So if I can get you to talk about the United States in terms of the homeland, I can strip away those rights that are guaranteed in the constitution. So names are very important. And um, I think what's going on a lot, you know, we've seen all these stories in the last week or two about the UFO file. And they want to use the term UAP, uh, unidentified aerial phenomena, mm. instead of UFO. This is also one <laughs> of those shifts. So they can say, well, you know, we came across this UFO thing in 2017. It was all based on a New York Times story and a CIA guy who came out of the Pentagon. Uh, and they want you to have that story instead of the 70 years of people looking into the subject. So I think when we get into those avenues of fake disclosure, we see them monkeying with the name, just like Homeland. Mm. I should call it Peppa. Peppa Gabby over here is, I can see her, like, she's frothing at the bits. She wants to hear about the aliens. I do. I love the aliens. I went to Alien (laughs) Con last year. My voiceover teachers, the dude who voices over um, ancient aliens on um, History Channel. Of course. So speaking of History Channel, they released a show that I love called Blue Book. And this, now that I want to talk about this with you. Daniel, is this it, the Blue Book series is is so fantastic? It's like it's getting into this stuff that we were reading about, like you know, when I was in high school, right? About the um, the UF, you know the UFOs being studied by the Army intelligence and trying to f- make sense of what these phenomena are. And obviously, most of them are you know legitimately they're just people seeing you know a meteor or maybe just you know something that they mis- mistook as a as something that was irregular. But then you you talk to a lot of pilots and. You know, they say, look, I've come across a UFO that zigzagged across my radar or literally, you know, they flew they flew next to for an hour. I mean, there's so many stories that you just can't discount them as, oh, you must have been on drugs. 
ha ha. Okay, great. I think <laughs> I think most pilots are pretty sober while they're flying. Maybe not after. But um, let, what do you think of the Blue Book show? Is this this is this History Channel disinformation, or is this actually in part of this psychological opening that we're entering into? I believe it's like an awakening to an awareness to the fact that we are not alone here. Well, they recognize the kind of market share in the desire for the public. So, the, you know, in terms of History Channel's motives, I would say they go there. But you can still get some good things for making those shows because there's such a rich history of Blue Book and Heineck and all of these different cases that they studied then. And there were certain things that got out before the real kind of Iron Curtain came down in the UFO field, which has been in place about 50 years. Um now, what's interesting to me is even in the early 50s and stuff, they would talk about, well, UFOs are out there, but they're not a national security threat, so we can deal with it, basically. Hmm. I think what changed after that is they were like, we don't study them, we don't talk about them, while they privately, inside of military uh, contractors, inside of aerospace agencies, they kept tracking them. They kept redeveloping the technology uh, from, from crashed retrievals and things of this nature. And people like Stanton Friedman uh, and Linda Moulton Howe really studied this and went in, in depth and brought that information forward without government disclosure. I mean, the, the whole myth of government disclosure is kind of absurd because they're never going to give you the truth as long as it doesn't work to their advantage. So um, this kind of political movement to force the government to tell you what you should, can essentially already know in an open society. Mm. So um, I think you have that wall of secrecy around these things. And what they're angling to do, I think, in this period is they need to roll out certain types of technology. And they want to do it around this um, kind of UFO theme, which is they're not going to tell us what the genuine thing is. Every time you hear them talk about it now, um, especially through the To the Stars Academy and Luis Elizondo and that whole wave of disclosure, it's always about a threat, right? Their program was ATIP, uh, you know, Advanced Aerial Threat Identification Program. So it's threat, threat, threat. Mm -hmm. And if they can get us thinking threat, then it's like, you know, you've got the Soviet Union all over again. You've got uh, Russia. You've got Iran, North Korea. It's a new enemy, and it's kind of a colorful one. So I think this is how they're looking at it. What they might be underestimating is that I feel that the public does grasp the whole off-world civilization issue pretty well in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. That is, they've had a lot of culture about it. They've had time to absorb the subject. So this idea that it could just show up in a New York Times article in December of 2017 and the CIA is going to lead disclosure because everyone on the board of to the Stars Academy is either from the CIA or Lockheed Martin – um, you know, that's exactly the reverse kind of disclosure that you should want. And a lot of the people, I think, who are fans of that movement are just so eager to get the validation to be able to look at somebody across the dinner table and say, aha, the New York Times is talking about UFOs, that they're missing the point that they're getting this weird kind of cooked up intelligence version of it. And uh, in fact, that version is all about a threat. Yes, yes. I mean, this goes back to Carol Rosen's disclosures. Um well, years ago, right? What was... Uh, von Braun. Von Braun, yes. Werner Von Braun had basically... She was, a, let's say, a companion of his. And she said Von Braun warned before he died. Von Braun was a very famous Nazi who was the head of the rocket... Basically, one of the heads of the rocket yes. departments at NASA we brought over after the war because he had been working on the rocket, the V-2 uh, rockets in Germany during World War II. So we brought him over to advance that tech and it was very instrumental towards our 
moonshot. So Von Braun was this guy. I think he's actually in the uh, Blue Book season because they're talking about – they get into that whole thing about, yeah, you know, we have these Nazis absolutely. that are working here, right? Yeah. yeah. So uh, Von Braun apparently told Carol Rosen that um, the first threat the, U- the U.S. would use and, the you know, essentially the globalist faction would use is to, is to fight against the Soviets. Then it would become a, a threat against terrorism to basically create this sort of worldwide – political machine of control as we see now like you know a, a globalized empire military economic and then the final thrust would be to unify the planet under the new world order against an alien threat but see some yeah. of us would say there's there's new world order 1.0 and there's new world order 2.0 mm-hmm. which is actually obliterating the world order and going back to like how about ordering ourselves having having more um non-global but more localized control having more sovereignty as individuals um, within our ability as you know as individuals to, to transact together we can you know we can create our own economies right we don't have to wait for the federal reserve to issue the money that we say this is the only one that has value this petrodollar this u.s petrodollar is what has value it's like no we have cryptos now and how many cryptos will will there be i mean people say there's a bubble I'm like yeah there was an internet bubble back in what 99 2000 yeah that popped but guess what Everyone's using the internet now. I think well, it's also the same with, with stocks, people. right? Exactly. You I have mean, bubbles. They come and go. They, yeah, they, they come and go. They, we had the stock market came out. It was amazing. Everyone still uses it today. And we've had many a crash. How many crashes? Right? So I think the cryptos are going to be there for a while. So to me, it's like there's New World Order 1.0, which is consolidation, as, as you're talking about. Like, let's consolidate military, political, financial sovereignty. I wrote a whole book, actually, <laughs> on this issue. And that's like the, the British, called? it's called New World Order. Um, that's the British imperial policy. But then there's like the awakened human that's like, well, actually, we do want to come together as humans because that's our natural birthright. We actually have no animosity towards each other. You're concocting all of this. This is a fiction that we, you know, that we have issues because of sex or gender or race or, you know, creed and all this, you know, religion. It's like, come on, this is all concocted to keep us at odds with each other. So we want to come together as one human family. But we're we don't, social beings. We're social beings, but we don't have to be under your financial dictatorship to do so. We don't have to be your peasants and, and as we see, the 99% against the 1%. That's a global corporation that's taken over. That's why, you know, you have a few, what, a couple thousand corporations that own half the world's assets pretty much. I mean, look at it. It's insane. So we're in this new way of thinking. And so that's why I say, like, there's the, the anti-New World Order, but still is pro-global, pro-global human, pro-global being and pro us coming together so that we can interact with these space brothers, some of whom are good and some of whom are bad. This is where I take issue with Carol Rosden saying that there's no bad aliens. I'm like, really? There's no bad aliens? <laughs> I mean, if they're not yeah. bad, there's certainly plenty of neutral aliens that don't seem to want to well, give us have... some tips here and, hey, hey, humanity, wake up. We're here to help you. <laughs> you can't have light without dark, right? I mean, it's just ingrained in creation in, in general, everything in science that we know. So if there was good aliens, then there would be bad aliens. I love it. I mean, there's human. I mean, it's like saying, well, there's no bad aliens, but there's only bad humans. It's yeah. like, well, why are we bad? It's a very closed-minded thought because the universe is just – it's – ever expanding and Mm. how could you how could you say that no only nice exists in this ever expanding giant universe we are just what a grain of sand in this entire beach well we are a grain of sand that's for sure but but there's nothing wrong with being a grain of sand you can still be the center of the universe in the holographic sense if we believe the holographic thing which is like everything is just resonance so everything is just mirrors of mirrors so even at like the smallest molecular level within my being there could be worlds that exist 
and then we exist within how many infinite worlds. I mean, it's a beautiful symmetry. I love that. So what do you think, Daniel? Are we, are, uh, when they say the threat, do you think that there are no bad aliens that could be a threat? Or are you simply saying we don't have to have that mentality of constant war and fear? Well, it's interesting. Actually, you make a really good point because once you start to look at the physics of this and combine it with almost spirituality and consciousness around it, you start to get a much bigger picture of what we're talking about. Um, But I would say, you know, one of the interesting in-between steps there for von Braun uh, was talking about how they were going to say there was a tremendous threat to the Earth from asteroids uh, before they got into the alien invasion part. And we see that a lot now. Uh, They actually just did a a simulation through NASA where they destroyed New York City in order to get rid of this asteroid. Uh, So they destroyed New York City to save Denver. Did they use an Avengers movie? Because I think if you just watch the Avengers movies, you can actually, you don't have to do it. You don't have to pay for a simulation. It's already been. We we just saw it. We just saw (laughs) it. They've already done those simulations. I think that was, what, Age of Ultron three years ago? (laughs) (laughs) I'm so lost in that. There's 20, what, 22 movies? God, all in one. It's a good number, right? Mm -hmm. Double, double. It's amazing. Some of the things that uh, my viewers have been sending me a lot of emails about the new Godzilla movie because there's all this (sighs) stuff about Godzilla's in Atlantis and the whole thing takes place at the end where he's sending out all these signals to kind of neutralize the Earth from Fenway Park, you know, which is only about 10 minutes from here. So, you know, it is interesting the way these themes are are popping up right now. Mm -hmm. Um, What I think is interesting about the asteroids, though, is that they go to such great lengths to emphasize them now when really, like, if you look at news articles 10 years ago, they hardly talked about it at all. Hmm. Um, and I think this is part That's, of I don't it. know. The asteroids, though, maybe not 10 years ago, but I remember a movie called Armageddon that was all about that comet hey. that was going to hit Earth. And yeah. they even did two movies. Yeah. One was called Deep Impact. The same year, they really hit on that the- that theme. Right around 2000, <laughs> yeah. I think it was right. Yeah. yeah, I hate to show my age, but as a millennial, I grew up only what, like every alien movie had asteroids and the Earth was being destroyed. <laughs> Yeah, so then they took a break, but now they came back to that theme. But I, I think, think the thing is, yeah, what is it? that in entertainment, they did have it as a major theme. But now you see it in news stories. It's almost like entertainment has become the news oh, story. For sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, so they're trying to kind of spook you. So there is a fear porn uh, level that's involved with it. But it's very fascinating to me because it's all about how do you weaponize space? And, um, you know, we have treaties in place against that. But nonetheless, we talk about the Space Force and how space is a war fighting domain, according to the administration. And then on the Democrat uh, side, when they came in with Podesta and Hillary were trying to come in in 2016 and they were using all this UAP language. And that's where the whole TTSA, DeLong, uh, Louis Elizondo, CIA narrative comes from. So you kind of have these two competing things going on where Trump, you know, is pushing the Space Force, and that's one kind of militarization of space. Mm-hmm. And these other guys have ATIP, the threat program. You know, uh, they, they kind of, um, they incorporate these two things, but both of them realize if you don't have a threat, you don't have congressional approval for money. <laughs> right. And you don't have control. And uh, as long as I can tell you that there's a threat, then my control level goes through the roof. Just look at 9-11 and all the absurd things that we had to put up with as a result of that. So uh, it is quite fascinating, though, because you mentioned something, which is what about the actual off-world civilizations, the ETs, the UFOs, the aliens? Mm -hmm. You know, let's forget about all the smoke and mirrors they put up to have us look at it in a certain way. What does the actual track record show? And um, I think that it's inevitable that uh, it is not completely 100 percent positive. So people 
who are looking either for alien saviors or alien threats, the black and white thing doesn't work. I, I think you've had a mixed bag, but certainly uh, with the kinds of technology that we've seen demonstrated in UFO reports, it looks like they could take us on very easily, and they, they have not. Take us on, you mean to, to um, control it? Well, my theory, and uh, I think many people would argue that this is probably more, how do you say, I don't, wanna, I don't actually want to put words in people's mouths, but I would say that this is not mine alone, but this whole notion that we are partly altered genetically from our, not necessarily from the creation, actually, that the Anunnaki theory is not as pro pro-Anunnaki. Sitchin, so Sitchin wrote The Twelfth Planet and that whole series, and he was very pro-Anunnaki. Yes. He's like, look, the humans were like these monkeys, and they basically just were Neanderthals. They had no intelligence. And then the Anunnaki aliens come down here, and they alter our genetics, give us, they're that missing link. <clears throat> and then all of a sudden, boom, humans are what we are today, basically, which is somewhere between devil and angel <laughs> and right. everything in between, right? <clears throat> Absolutely. And it but, is fascinating. I mean, Sitchin was a breakthrough, but also his work has been hammered away in such a way. Like there's a lot of information relating to the whole alien aspect, even if you go back to Atlantis and the Book of the Dead and, and that whole end of it. So they've this idea of aliens interacting with human beings goes all the way back. And it's not just the Anunnaki, um, you know, slave trade to make us mine for gold and that whole thing, which is one very interesting story for mm-hmm. sure the whole mm-hmm. sumerian aspect but i think when you look back at it you know um you have stories like ezekiel's story and you have to put it in context that those guys are dealing with incredible technology so who had it mm-hmm. in that period and there are um if you go back far enough there there are older civilizations you know we just did a an event here in cambridge with graham hancock and his whole thing is the advanced lost civilization was here and it was uh, highly technologically functioning. It was more advanced than we are. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's someone who's been in the field for three decades researching it. So those are the kinds of voices. I mean, if I were to say what real disclosure that would get humanity going somewhere is if we could have disclosure that, say, 20,000 years ago, we had an advanced civilization out there, right. if you want to call it Atlantis or, or Mu, uh, and that or they actually, had advanced both, technology, yeah. and that we fell from from there. I think that's more... Because that gets to us, right? Because ultimately, an alien civilization, an off-world civilization, really can only be a peer, right? It, it shouldn't be something you'd worship, or uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't be in that class. They might be more advanced. But the idea that we ourselves, as advanced spiritual beings, had an advanced technology, and it wasn't all about scientific materialism in the period, that's pretty radical. <laughs> that's the kind of disclosure I think that could shake everything up. Yeah, and I think people have been doing it. The Forbidden Archaeology is one of those books that really gets into this yeah. question about, you know, in- indication evidence that humans were not at least not necessarily humans, but some intelligent beings were here up to a million years ago with with tools and able to, you know, basically um leave indications and evidence of, you know, in fossils and other forms, even uh human uh footprints that are fossilized from like I don't know how many like go back thousand years or so. That's well, a great point. Yeah, well, that was well, that, that's, that's an interesting. Michael Cremo's work. Yeah, yeah, Cremo's forbidden archaeology. The Gobeki type is good because it basically throws off this whole scientific Darwinism that we've been living under this dictatorship of it has to be evolution. Humans were primitive and they were Neanderthals, and then all of a sudden they evolved, and over time they got smarter and smarter and smarter. Well, Gobeki Tepe is like ten thousand years old, if I'm correct, or. So and that would that would go against this whole point about when we actually were able to grow crops and have a centralized society, but 
going back to before that to the Sitchin thing, my problem with Sitchin is what if the Anunnaki are not the good guys? What if it's actually a mixed bag? Again, well, that's the Bianchi versus Enlil story. But yes. the idea that humans were not dumb, we were actually never. There's indications the Neanderthals, I think, had very like massive brains, for example. They actually could have been very spiritually attuned. Some people like Andrew Bartz mm-hmm. say dinosaurs were very spiritually attuned beings. Mm-hmm. And we have to let go of this human perception of consciousness. And this is what I'm most interested in these days. Consciousness is not what we think it is. We think of left brain logic as consciousness. We think, oh, if I can apply this science, this technology <clears throat> to basically control my environment or to suppress someone else, I'm powerful. We forget the power of psychic abilities. <clears throat> we, obviously, we see it in movies. We think that's fantasy. But I'm saying, no, that's fact. Right. That's the reality. And actually, it's, we've locked our brains off from that capacity. When we start to activate our brains and start to go towards that full capacity that we know we're able to do, and this is part of the reason why we're only using 10% or less, is because we have this vast consciousness that's multidimensional that literally is able to see into different dimensions. It's able to affect reality and manifest things without this this very mundane Piscean age conception of you have to go to school and learn this tool and go to that for that trade and ten, spend 10,000 hours doing something by rote until someone pays you for it. It's like, no, that's well, not even the idea of Jesus, how we're right? supposed to live. There's, like the idea of Jesus in, in, in existence of him being the savior, the one that was able to use all these powers and have all the healing tools. It, it, it that was the Piscean age, right? That was the, the, the it, yeah. represented by the fish. And now we've moved into the age of Aquarius, the age of awakening. So, mm. This age of awakening, and I think some people would find this strange, but the more that you become attuned to it or become conscious, you can actually be that superhero or you can exist as that free character that Jesus did, right? So he was able to heal and mm -hmm. get rid of... There's a movie with George Clooney, The Men Who Stare at Goats, Mm -hmm. and they say that that's based on faith. Jim uh, Channon, I think, wasn't it? Channon? Mm -hmm. uh, Jim Channon was the guy that did Battle... um, Battlefield. It was the... um, Earth, first Earth Battalion. Yeah. Right. And he was like the head of this first Earth Battalion and people were laughing at it, but it actually is very beautiful. He's like, listen, let's play music because music affects the energy Everything. of people. Like let's spread love. Let's send flowers to our enemies. Let's start to actually like have, you know, more <laughs> peace ambassadors. We don't need war. We need to, you know, we actually need to protect the earth. And people were like, ha ha, it's so ridiculous. It's like, no, actually, that's the future. You know, this whole notion of like, let me go and slay him and take his woman. That's going to be how I'm going to succeed in life. It's like, that's, come on, this is antiquated thinking. We're beyond this. I think a lot of people are aware, like, I don't want to go fight anymore. There's no point. If I go kill some kid in Iraq, how's that going to affect the government of Iraq? It's it's like, it doesn't work that way. And also we have nukes. So at this point, like you were saying earlier, Daniel, it's all in space, right? I mean, now it's, why would you fight on this land? Why? Because you're going to destroy it. So let's, now it's more of a a collective coming together as a people, I think, once Mm -hmm. we get there to be able to say, all right, cool. Now we're going into space. We're going to go into a new dimension. The Mayans, right? The Mayans is a great culture that I think potentially could have ascended. Well, some people say that they literally like entered a portal and left. That's why there's some remnants. Like there's some people that are, Ascended, but the actual like civilization vanished, right? No graves, nothing. Yeah, that's a pretty interesting story. Let's face it, because <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's no good explanation for how they got dispersed. Um, and, and they had a lot of incredible advanced astronomical. I mean, it's so off the charts when you think about it that you know uh, Sumeria and the Mayans had the most advanced astronomy. And as you go further along, we lost it and didn't rediscover it till the 16th century, really. So uh, apparently civilization doesn't work in this curve where we're just going up. Apparently it has these 
great arcs and then this incredible downfall. And we see it over and over again. Even the Atlantis story is largely the story of a civilization that got so big and challenged the gods and got so corrupt that they went beneath the waves in a huge inundation. This is very interesting because um, there's an echo of that whenever we get around tools, whenever humanity finds itself just getting into the material side, there's huge consequences involved with it. So when you're talking about consciousness and how like, you know, to be like Jesus and things like that, this is very interesting because the, um, you know, the entire mystery school uh, legacy of these groups that kept this knowledge underground and were persecuted. Um, this is the kind of thing like that the Russian philosopher Gurdjieff talked about it and he said, well, there's two things. There's what to do to be spiritually advanced and then there's the how to do it. So the what to do uh, is always out there in the culture. This is what you need to do, but how to do it stays hidden because that's the part that gets persecuted because mm -hmm. people actually start to evolve and develop. So, you know, it's fine in a religion to say, turn the other cheek or whatever it is, but there's a method. There's an actual method for how to do that because ordinarily by the time someone hits you, you've, you've struck back before you've had a chance to even think about it or insert a religious concept. So uh, there's a lot of information, I think, that humanity has kind of vouchsafed in those mystery schools. And it looks, um, from my own research, into like anthroposophy and theosophy. Uh, and it's funny because when you were just talking about how the culture can move into having these abilities, that's very theosophical. You mm -hmm. know, they were saying in the 21st century, there's going to be a new root race. These people will come forward. They'll be naturally psychic. They'll be able to interact in a totally different telepathic fashion. And war will be thought of as stupid. Um, so the, the theosophical train of thinking is very on this positive line. And anthroposophy is a little bit different because they have this character, this dark astral uh, character, Araman, who comes in through the technology. And with scientific materialism, he brings everybody down. <laughs> and when we're in that level, Araman kind of controls the scene and he harvests the scene. So uh, it's very interesting, I think, the perspectives of these mystery schools like Theosophy and, and Rudolf Steiner's work in Anthroposophy, we start to see that they were looking out at the 21st century at our various potentials to see exactly what could happen. And right now, it seems like uh, the kind of harmonic uh, Anthroposophy version is coming forward, where we see all the transhumanism and these people wanting to merge, uh, like Ray Kurzweil and all that wants to merge with the technology and have mm -hmm. the singularity. It seems like that's very dangerous on a soul uh, level. Exactly. That's what I love about you, Daniel. You're like, you're, you've got the globe, but you're also very erudite, which is uh, rare. A lot of people, you know, <laughs> they are too much in their head, but they don't have the soul. Um, we're going to have a lot of conversations on this, on this show with you. And uh, I think just, you know, to wrap this one up, what you got into a little bit there with the uh, memories of Atlantis, having been there, I can tell you it's very simple. We're not going to fall the same way. The fall has been over and over. This time, it's about resolving the fact that we are, yes, the Star Wars universe, that's what we live in. Yeah. We live in it. And there's yeah. two ways of going about it. One, you become the machine, you become Darth Vader. There's no, way other, another, uh, no other way to put it. Right. Two, you realize the force is inside of you. It's with you. You don't need t technology to access it and utilize it. You can use technology in a way that's benevolent, that's, um, that's going to you know, basically help better your society and your surroundings but fundamentally we are magical beings that literally we are we, con we control and create the technology we are not the slaves and beholden to the technology 
Well, it's like a Absolutely. matrix as well. Sorry, Daniel. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit like matrix, right? You can plug into the machine. You use the machine because you have to, right? There's an element of me. I don't always like to use social media because it's just, it, it's a, a shutdown situation, but I still use it mm-hmm. because you have to. That's the world we live in. But so it's, it's similar to that. It's consciousness using the force. Exactly. Go ahead, Daniel. So, uh, yeah. Any last thoughts before we wrap up? Well, I like I like the train that you're on there. And uh, the way I would wrap it up is I would just say, you know, we don't have to become Luddites and avoid it. I think we can get into it. We can actually embrace the technology on a certain level. Uh, You know, I spent a lot of time uh, watching its development. And in some sense, the technology is is where I came from. Um, But what I would say is this, which is. The idea of imbuing it with a spiritual sense that is not letting, uh, you know, this thing about, oh, you're going to convert your consciousness into an avatar in a little box, and there it is. I mean, you know, your consciousness comes from the fact that you reside inside a physical body that has a, a chakra system, according to all the ancient spiritual traditions, and you can't beam that into a little box. So you're talking about a very narrow uh, version, a very scientific materialist version of what consciousness would be mm-hmm. when you're talking about that. So I think when we get into AI, when we get into the transhumanism, that is the way to approach that without completely outright rejecting it. Uh, you know, it's to face it, I would say, and to kind of avoid the temptation to say, well, I want to be immortal inside of a cyber body or something mm-hmm. like that and just distort the entire kind of human history, the human appreciation uh, for what it means to be a soul having a, uh, a physical experience. This is where I think the whole technology aspect goes wrong because it's only thinking in, in material terms and there's far more facets to a human being than just the material side. Mm-hmm. Beautifully said. I did a documentary called Metahuman. It's definitely elucidates some of these points. It was with uh, Deepak Chopra and others, but we elucidate some of these issues of like, what is the brain versus you know, consciousness or mind, you know, how can you distinguish the two? And it's very important to look at because essentially those that are tar- are taking the material path, you know, they will, they will ultimately die by it as opposed to living by the spiritual. So, uh, let's, now, let's he's get been around. He, he should know he's been doing it for quite a while. <laughs> Deepak's great. <laughs> and where can we find that? MetaHuman is online. Just, uh, Google MetaHuman with Deepak Chopra or Sean Stone and you'll find on YouTube and, uh, you can just watch it. So, Daniel, this we'll, is the thing about you, Sean, which yeah. is you get into a lot of different areas. Also, you can handle the political aspect, but you know it's a lot deeper. <laughs> it's infinitely deep. <laughs> it's infinite. Love Fantastic. It. Well, it's great being with you guys today. Yeah. You got it. Thanks for coming on. We hey, will. Thanks uh, so much. We'll get into the dark journalist some more. <laughs> the dark journalist. The dark By the end journalist. of the, the, the dark journalist, will have an alchemical transformation. Dun, dun, the dark dun. journalist will be the white, the white knight journalist. <laughs> Push you through a vortex. Coming right. This has been Monuments Production.